That's what the woman asked me. Am I some sort of ghost? I still move. I still breathe. I'm still alive. The bad guys are winning. Right now, we got our hands full. You're a mess. Three bullets. Straight through me. Last night, you were 20 minutes from the morgue, and now look at you. You have to do something about the spirit. Our profits are down 20%. Spirit thinks he can't stay hurt. I'm getting El Spirito dead while I still can. Something's going down here. Could be big. Octopus big. I'm the octopus. I got eight of everything. You're not making this easy. Brought in a specialist. Someone to seal the deal. She got a thing for the blame. Sam Seraph. Do you want me to be a girl? There probably isn't a law in the books that you wouldn't break. Do I look like a good girl? Somebody get me a tie, and it sure as hell better be red. We are locked and loaded. Is every damn woman in this damn hellhole out of a damn mind? No, sir. You're just equipped. I'm gonna kill you all kinds dead. And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy The Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Stop it! What's in the box? Disenfranchised by the modern comics industry, producer Paul Spitaro, Dr. Bill Robinson, and Scott H. Gardner now ply the time stream in a never-ending quest to rediscover and reconnect with that unique brand of fun and excitement that can only truly be found in good old-fashioned, randomly selected comic book back issues. Journey with them now. Back. Back. To the bins. I got nowhere else to go. I got nowhere else to go. I got nothing else. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Back to the Bins. I'm Paul Spataro, and I am reunited, and it feels so good with my friends. What is it? What was the, the nickname? The middle name? Uh, Scott Harcourt Gardner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, no. We Our figured it. We finally figured Gardner. it out. We finally figured it out. And you've got doctor, a lot of explaining to do. Doctor William Robinson <laughs> making his triumphant return to the show after a lengthy Yay. tour of the United States, and by tour of the United States, I mean kind of in the Tampa suburbs. <laughs> In wonderful Pasco County. Welcome back, Dr. Bill. Welcome back to the same old shit that you left. Oh, sorry. <laughs> well, we, we've, 
We've decided upon your return to revisit something we've been waiting a long time to do. And uh, longtime listeners will recall that we did a score episode on the spirit where Dr. Bill and I uh, both admitted our vacuum of knowledge with regard to this particular character. And we reviewed the very first two stories ever in his history. And we promised then that we would revisit it later. And that's what we're doing today. I can honestly tell you, despite promises to the contrary, uh, the only things I've read beyond what we read that day are the stories we're covering tonight. (laughs) So while I still find the character to be fascinating, I don't, I, I don't and have not felt the urge to, you know, really dig into the uh, printed material for him. Uh, and the one thing I got to say is, even though we have three more issues here, I don't see in the issues that we have, just because, you know, we have to, we can only work with what's available to us, uh, the signature Will Eisner artwork that I remember seeing when I was younger and would want to try and get into this character because I had heard it was so good, but never really did. Does that make sense, yeah. or am I just rambling? Oh, no, no, no. I agree, because I was kind of reading, like, every now and then, you know, there'll be... Well, in the origin, there's some, but and but some of the other ones, eh, nah, not so much. I've come to expect almost like a Jim Steranko-type, uh, you know, splash pages and covers and things like that and the issues that we're covering don't really have that so i'm still not sure we're getting the true flavor of the spirit just yet and we might have to revisit it's this fun- a third time yeah it's funny that you mentioned Storenko because you know this is probably going to bury the lead for my approach to this episode and it probably opens me up to quite possibly being lynched by you know maddened crowds but I, what I thought you were going to say, I, I agree with what you said, but what I thought you were going to say is that you're still not quite seeing the spirit, uh, you know, the, uh, of legend. You know, the you you this, weren't seeing what makes the legend such a such a thing that you know is so highly regarded and all. That was yes. my takeaway. Is that that is uh, what I was the, getting I, to? The spirit of the spirit, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not seeing I, why this is such a long-lived character that is so revered by some people. Yeah, just yet. Although I, I'm trying and I want to, but I don't think it, we've seen what I think is the 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 real you know the highlight work yet. This seems to be something of a of a theme for me this week because just yesterday I watched Citizen Kane. I I'd never seen the movie before, and I'm reading a book right now that put me in mind. It was talking briefly in one chapter about William Randolph Hearst, who is who Citizen Kane is like loosely based on, I guess. And it put me in mind of that. And I'm like, damn, you know, I've never seen here. I am 53 years old. I've still never seen this movie that many regard as the greatest movie ever made and everything. So let me make the time. Let me finally watch this movie. And I watched it and I really enjoyed it. Don't, don't get me wrong. I thought it was a one. Wonderful film. I really enjoyed it. I, I saw a lot in it, but I didn't walk away going, oh, my God, that's the, you know, it wasn't like some religious experience. I walked away going, that was a really good movie. I didn't walk away going, oh, my God, this is not my favorite movie. It is the greatest thing ever made. No, I didn't. I, I kind of walked away going, OK, that was really good. But uh, why? You know, well, you know what? I'm going to just kind of I'm going to let this very this this uh, 
tangent go on for a little bit longer because I'm going to tell you why I believe it is. Uh, there have been a lot of times where we've reviewed old books on this show, and we were looking at things that were innovative and dynamic in the day that they were published, but have been so copied and repeated and uh, the basis for other people to learn from that they almost seem, you know, to be just old hat at this point as we review them. And I think a lot of that is true for Citizen Kane. First of all, I think Citizen Kane lacks a little bit because it doesn't have the most compelling lead character in the world. Although Orson Welles is a, is a compelling actor, I don't think his character in, this, in that particular movie is that likable or charismatic. But also, I think, I think he did a tremendous number of things with the cinematography and the, the uh, storyboarding and how he told the story uh, and just some things that were you know very, very unusual for the time that eventually became something that people did more often. And now you're not looking at it as being innovative and revolutionary the way it was back when it came out. That's got to be it, because I, that was kind of what I'm taking away from this. Uh, you know, these uh, stories of the spirit, you know, I, I enjoyed what I read. I thought everything I read was was fun. I thought everything I read was interesting. I thought visually it was well put together, but I didn't read any of it that clicked, you know, to where I thought, OK, this is why this has the rep that it's got. None of it did. And I thought it was apt that you mentioned um, Starenko because I have the same reaction when I look at there's a number of comics artists that are extremely high re, highly regarded in the world of comics that you always hear their names mentioned above, you know, and, and beyond all the other comic artists. And another one that comes to mind is like Alex Toth. And I look at these guys and I just I don't get it. I just look at their stuff and go, eh, you know. And I think that's got to be it, is that they they were so revolutionary and, and they were so then uh, imitated and, and their stuff was borrowed from and their, their style became a thing with so many others that it's kind of lost something to somebody who comes in later, you know, and, and didn't see it when it was innovative. They're just seeing it after it's been highly imitated and, and has become kind of the thing, you know. And I, and I guess that's got to be what it is, because, you know, to look at this and go, OK, this is 1940. OK, I can see it kind of that way, because when I look at a lot of old comics, you know, Golden Age stuff, I don't see stuff that looks this good. So I guess I kind of see that. But I still coming into this now for the very first time didn't quite I, I wasn't, you know, just floored by it like I was kind of expecting I would be. I was I was actually kind of afraid to even join you guys for this one because I didn't want to get sucked into another character. You know, I didn't want to I didn't want to fall in love with it and be like, oh, my gosh, where's this been all my life? Now I've got to read all this. And <laughs> thankfully, that that didn't happen because I liked it. But I'm like, if I never read another spirit story again, I'm I'm good, you know. But so. I think I think and I could be wrong, but I've seen, you know, over the years artwork from will eisner's spirit mm -hmm. that looked yeah. revolutionary and it did bring bring to mind a Storenko, you know that that surrealistic pop art kind of kind of feel to it and i don't see that in any of the books that we covered so i'm right. thinking we haven't hit on that yet and that's why i'm thinking we may have to do a third show that's going to cover at least one title that has that well uh, i know like for 
Hill's book is is a fairly recent book. Um, I was kind of freaked out to discover the, the the story that I'm going to cover is not even Eisner. Do you know if it's Eisner for the book or for the story that you're covering? Uh, I was under the impression it was, but I could be wrong. Okay. Because I thought he, you know, I thought if you read the Spirit. It was Eisner. That I just and I'm I'm showing my ignorance here because I really don't know shit about the spirit other than he was created by Will Eisner, and I've always heard them spoken in one breath. You know, the spirit by Will Eisner. So that's the sum of what I know about this character. So to discover that my story is not written or drawn by Will Eisner kind of threw me a little bit. I was like, whoa, really? So yeah. Well, part of part of this journey that we were on is that Bill and I both basically, you know, admitted we had precious little knowledge of this character. So this kind of is a series of episodes. And again, I think it's going to be three by the time we're done, uh, where we're just kind of discovering the character and trying to see what made it into the phenomena that it has been. Well, I would totally be down for a part three because something kept tickling my brain while I was looking at Bill's book. And I kept Whoa. thinking, I know I have seen or I thought I had seen a fairly recent spirit book that had the Unisphere on the cover of it. And I kept thinking about this and I'm like, I know I've where did I see this? And it finally I, I did some digging around. And I finally found it. So I wouldn't mind bringing that book if we do a part three. And I, I almost suggested bringing it for this one, but it's another one much like Bill's where the spirit teams up with another popular hero. So I didn't think we wanted to do two in the same episode. So maybe like next time around, I'll do the team up book if, if we do, you know, a part three. All right. Well, that, that's, I think that works. And uh, if I remember right, and Bill, you, you know, Try and see if you remember any better than I do. But if I remember right, we, as I said, we looked over the first two stories, uh, and either they were reprints of newspaper stories uh, that just you know went on a couple of pages, or they were new stories but written in that style. And mm. I seem to remember that we reviewed them and trying to take them into context for the time that they were printed we were overall pretty happy with them yeah i think when we we're thinking of other things that came out at the same time we were we could see a bit of uh you know not not an improvement but how it stood out against other things okay that were uh contemporary so, if i if i remember correctly so we're going to do a little jumping around today because I have a book from 1966 and Scott has a book from 1949. Normally we would go in sequential order, but we're going to do mine first because mine leads off with the origin. And mine was uh, from Harvey Comics in 1966. Uh, they revived the spirit and they came out with two issues. Uh, and those two issues had each had, I believe, one new story. And now I'm looking and it, it and it was written. The one that I'm talking about was written and penciled by Will Eisner, which is the origin story. Uh, and it, it says it was inked by Chuck Kramer, who I'm not actually familiar with. And then there are seven other stories that are from the uh, 
the late forties in that book. So there, it was a 25, 25 cent giant size Harvey thriller. And it only lasted two issues. So, you know, I don't know <laughs> for, for, for all that we're talking about, I, I, it feels like this character is constantly being revived, but I don't know if it's ever had a real, real long run. But then again, I could be totally wrong on that. I don't really know. So the cover, which I believe is by Eisner, uh, it, show, it shows the spirit, and it's kind of almost a joking cover. It almost looks like it could be a Mad Magazine thing. He's there. He's fighting with four guys. He's got his leg in a uh, in an iron, and one of the guys is, is hammering a uh, stake into the ground to hold him in place. Another one is biting him on the shoulder. Uh, he's kicking one in the face, and then there's a fourth dude who's got his hand on the spirit's leg, but his, his other hand is being stepped on. But while this is all going on, there's a damsel in distress in a tattered dress who's kind of cuddling up to him under his arm while he's fighting these guys. So it's almost a, at worst, it's a totally comical image, and at best, it's tongue-in-cheek. Uh, it, it's it's fairly well-drawn, but I, I'm not you know particularly enamored with it. The story... Uh, which I do think the artwork comes up a notch in the actual story. And we do have on the splash page, they show like a building uh, with the spirit logo built into it. So that's kind of what I was talking about, about the pop art nature of the spirit from what I had seen. Uh, there's just not a lot of it in here. Uh, it opens up and it shows the spirit or actually Denny Colt, who is the secret identity of the spirit uh, running towards the reader uh, in a, uh, I guess, through running through a puddle with a building in the background. And uh, it's asking, who is this masked man known only to society as the spirit? And basically, they're going to give us his origin story here, which is something we already have covered. And it opens up. There's an underground lair on the waterfront. And uh, I apologize. I'm trying to remember the names of the characters now. Uh, Dr. Cobra? Yeah, Dr. Cobra is... is crowing because he's on the verge of brink uh, vic on the brink of victory uh where he can uh put people into suspended animation uh and he's got his his thug with him there ranch and, what's his name ranch like ranch but with the g in front of it oh like the grinch only with a u in the middle you're a mean one mr grinch so we, we cut to the police commissioner and his daughter. Uh, the Denny Colt is saying that he's pretty much figured out exactly where this uh, Dr. Cobra is, and he's going to uh, con confront him because if he waits, it's going to be too late, and this uh, suspended animation liquid will be released. He comes down into the uh, into the lair, and the Cobra. Apparently, uh, Denny Colt is like a, a crime fighter at that point already, so he's already got a reputation, and the and doc, Dr. Cobra decides he's going to release the uh, valves ahead of time because, because Colt is coming down. <clears throat> he, he, he orders that the uh, stuff be released, but then uh, Colt fights with him. Colt does a good job of getting his head stuck in, getting Grant's head stuck in the... Uh, in, in the wheel to re to release the liquid. Uh, and then while he confronts Cobra, Grant is, is able to pull himself loose, but in the process breaks open the uh, suspended animation stuff, which uh, then enco encompasses him. 
as well as Granch, who gets shot by Cobra by accident. Uh, then when they come down there, they find him in suspended animation from the uh, liquid, uh, and they believe that he's dead, and they remove him off to the morgue. They actually have a burial of sorts, uh, but I but Colt d- manages to escape, you know, without actually being buried underground. And then he goes and reveals himself to the commissioner and says he's going to fight crime as the spirit. Uh, once again, kind of going into the fact that he has uh, a real reputation and that the criminal underworld is in fear of him, but that if they b- truly believe he's dead, they might make themselves more open and available and therefore easier targets for him. And that's the end of the first story, but I'm going to continue to go on. Uh, we cut in, in the second story, uh, Blackie Marquette is arriving to America from Europe with his new bride, Lorelei Rocks. And Lorelei is this, I guess, blonde bombshell. And she sings this song, you know, a siren song, which he didn't even apparently know at first. But what that does is that lures truck drivers to them. And he decides to uh, to use this to as a money-making scheme to, you know, to hijack trucks. So as this goes on, eventually Denny Crane or the spirit decides he's going to go undercover into this situation. He does so. And then he ends up in a battle with, with Blackie. Uh, he gets beaten over the head by uh, Lorelei. And I'm sorry. I, I, you know, I'm trying to remember how this happened. <laughs> and She's singing and making him crazy louder and louder. And then the building actually collapses and that sets him loose. But then the commissioner ends up on, on the phone with the truck driver, uh, the truck company owner who has now hired Lorelei to be his driver. And that's how the story ends. Uh, not, not much of a story really, to be honest with you. Just, just kind of, I think it's meant to be kind of a twilight zoney thing. Uh, but I actually see superior stylistic artwork in the second 1940s story compared to what I saw in the uh, the 60s story, because the 60s story seems much more cartoonish and simple, whereas the 1940s story, I think, you know, it's dark, it's more noirish, it's definitely more stylistic. So I kind of appreciate the later art, the earlier art more. Well, the first story you did was that. Is that a updated? Uh, I mean, the first story in the book is that a reprint of the original, which also came from the forties, or? I don't believe it is. I think no. It's 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 a new it's a new telling. Oh okay. Well, it's almost like they should be uh, flip flopped in time, if that's the case. Like the. Wait, what am I saying? No, I, I get exactly like, what you're like, saying. Yeah, yeah, like like the six like. The first story, time-wise, should be earlier because of its simplicity, and the older story should be the second one because of its complexity, but it's actually reversed. I'm thinking the the first – the earlier drawn story, which is second in the book, is actually looking to appeal to a slightly older audience than mm. the than the first one was because just, just based on the, the silliness of the cover – I'm thinking yeah. that, the, that this book was, you know, and it's by Harvey Comics, which is generally a young audience 
publisher. So, well, yeah, you you know, you open the book up, and the inside front cover, every ad here is for their young people's line. You know, you've got Casper and Hot Stuff and Richie Rich, and you know, so yeah, it, it, just being a Harvey comic to me instantly, you know, puts me in mind that okay, this is Kitty fodder, and yeah, this this is not something you'd really want to give to a little kid, I wouldn't think, you know. It's, yeah, well, I mean, there are, there are some to, dark concepts. Yeah, I mean, this harkens back to pre, uh, uh, you know, pre-Wortham days. I mean, there's no like eye injury stuff or you know anything like that. But I mean, still, it's it's you know it's a crime noir type of comic. So yeah, it's kind of odd that it's a Harvey book. Well, yeah, consider some of the uh, stories further on in the book. Um, I don't know if did you guys read all the stories in the book? I did not. Well, there's one that said that begins. It says it will take you ten minutes to read the story, a very short time in any man's lifetime. But these ten minutes that you will spend here are an eternity for one man, for they are the last ten minutes of Freddy's life. And it goes it's on. Pretty dark. Uh-huh. Yeah, the guy goes on. He he like robs a robs a like a soda joint jerk candy store he kills the owner the owner's dead behind the counter people walk in he's serving the people you know malteds and stuff and then they discover the but you know and he's and he's trying to you know in his head he's like i gotta get out of here i gotta get out of here you know like he killed the guy by accident and he's trying to cover it up and then he runs and then he gets on the subway and the spirit's there but the spirit's not really there for him specifically and then he like tries to run and he gets he basically he get he jumps on the side of a train and then it hits like a like a like a metal piling on the subway and kills him he get, <laughs> it looks like he gets decapitated by oh, subway well that's, yeah that's what i'm saying that's it's pretty gruesome for this to be a kitty book <laughs> you know that's why i'm just like yeah maybe wow. uh, yeah see some of these are pretty dark yeah, that is very dark. Yeah, just the way it's depicted is brutal. Yeah, I but now the like the drawings of these look like they're the older style. Yeah, well, my understanding yeah. is the only new artwork in the book is the first story. Everything else is oh, from the late okay. from the late forties. Right. Well, because then there's another story about a guy that was able to fly, and he actually at towards the end of the story. Uh, the spirit's about to be shot, and a guy flies in the way and takes the bullets for the spirit and dies. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's like, wow. Uh, what a happy little kid book. It's a kid's book, yeah. It's a cookbook. <laughs> but what, what I'm not seeing is the dynamism that I've been led to understand we get from Will Eisner's groundbreaking stories and i believe it exists i just don't think it's in this book and is I it think, well i don't think it's in scott's book either. i mean i'm talking out my ass when i say this is that like through the hype of like frank miller no no this is I something mean, just that i've, I've kind but of picked like, up in well eisner like frank miller's like one of frank miller's big influences if i remember yeah. correctly yeah, 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 but I, but Which I'm not. You could kind of see that in his run on Daredevil, maybe. But see, I'm not seeing yeah. that, that here. That's why I'm wondering if it's in an. I think when we do this next time, 
we need to find like the top stories, the top it's, Will Eisner spirit stories, or what what are recommended, or at least one this, or two. I, I missed the. If you gave credits, Paul, I'm sorry, I missed it. Do you know if the second story that you that you covered, the one with the singing girl, is that Eisner? I wasn't able to confirm that, but I'm pretty sure it is. Okay. Because if you're going off the, the PDF scan that you had sent me earlier, um, it's missing the introductory page for that second story. And that introductory page is really impressive. It's it, There's no like title splash or anything. The story just starts, but it's all very dark and moody and... That the opener actually is pretty impressive, you know, artistically. Just you know, just for the the way it sets up the the mood and the and the tone and everything with uh, you know, there, it's a dark and stormy night. It's literally a dark and stormy night when the when well, the, yeah. And in that first page, couldn't you see a little Frank Miller Daredevil in that first page? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, I I definitely know that that Miller was a was a um, Will Eisner acolyte. I mean, I, I think he wasn't he the driving force behind the movie mm-hmm. from a couple of years back. Pretty sure, yeah. I was thinking maybe we might do that movie at some point. It's funny you sh- say that because when I was out and about today, I stopped. Uh, there's a um, what you call it a pawn shop near me that's a great source of cheap Blu-rays. And I stopped there today thinking I had seen the spirit there in the past. I'm pretty sure I did, but they didn't have it today. But I actually thought about that. I would pick it up today and, and give it a look if they had it in preparation for this episode. But unfortunately, they didn't have it. Or well, maybe should... fortunately, from, from the reputation the movie has, maybe not so unfortunately. But I, I, you know, I'm, I'm willing to try anything. I, I might probably enjoy it going in with absolutely no preconceptions whatsoever. That tends to happen to me. You should try yeah. finish watching Xanadu. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> All right. So, for the purposes of this first episode, first, uh, first two stories, uh, I guess we could grade them and move on. The cover, I think, is a little bit more cartoony than I would like. It's not really something that I would find all that compelling. I think it's meant to appeal to a younger audience than these stories should. Uh, And I don't feel it's particularly dynamic. I feel it's more jokey. Uh, So I'm going to just give it a straight up C. I don't think it's particularly special, especially for a number one issue. I think you should come up with something a little bit more dynamic. Uh, The interior art for the first story, it's nice and clean. But it's also very simplistic. Uh, I'm guessing Eisner at this point was kind of, you know, up in his years and maybe had had lost a step. Uh, so, again, nothing spectacular. It's nice and clean. It's easy to follow. Uh, so I'm going to say a C plus. Uh, the artwork in the second story, it's dark, it's moody, and I feel like it's a little bit more innovative and dynamic. I'm going to say a solid B on the uh, second story art. Uh, first story, I'm going to say it's the origin of the spirit. It's just being retold. It's nothing all that new and creative compared to the first time it was told, but it's a solid story. So I'm just going to say a, a B minus. 
And the second story is kind of goofy, but it's fun and it's dark and it's uh, it's just kind of interesting to read. So I'm going to say just a B on that. And overall, I'm going to give this book a B minus. Uh, covers. Uh, <laughs> I'm just going to give it a C for the cover. Um, the first story. I'm trying to remember what we gave it the last time, but I don't. So I think we particularly uh, liked it last time, honestly. Yeah, I mean it. It's all right. You know, it's a it's a it's a quickly told or origin story. Uh, story-wise, I'll give it a B. Art-wise, I'll give it uh, eh, maybe a C plus. Uh, so what? That gives the first half uh, uh, like a C plus ish. Yeah. Second story, the art is a little better. I'll give it a B. The story's. Uh, you should really try to see that opening page, Paul. I don't know if you open up the one that Scott sent. Yeah, um, I haven't been able to get to it yet. Okay. So uh, that I'm going to mm, – yeah, I'm going to give it a B plus on the second story. So I guess you average those two together, you get a B. Okay. Um I got to be honest, I, I do not like the cover on this at all. Um, I look at this and I think like inferior, <clears throat> pardon me, inferior five or, or, or some sort of jokey comic or something. Um, I don't, I don't know, it just doesn't grab me for what I, I think I found inside the book at all. I don't know what they were going for with, with this cover, but it just doesn't work for what I think it should be for the content that's inside. So yeah. Um, I'd honestly go like a D on the cover. I, I think it just, it really fails to sell the book. It, it doesn't grab me all. There's way too much cover copy on it and it just, yeah, it, it looks weird. Kitty cartoony type of thing. It, it reminds me of that other Harvey book we looked at. Not long ago, jigsaw man or whatever. It just, yeah, it, just, <laughs> it looks silly and it just doesn't grab me at all. So yeah, sorry. Uh, just didn't like the cover. Now, because of, uh, of not getting all the directions um, through private messages, I only read the first story. I'm sorry, I did not read the second story. Um, I liked the first story, but I liked it because, you know, it's the origin of the spirit. So I, right away, I was like, well, I wish I knew something about this guy before we do a whole episode. Well, here you go. Here's the origin. So I liked it from that angle that, okay, and now I get to figure out, you know, who this guy is. I'm not coming in completely cold. So I liked it from that angle, but it just it left me with a lot of questions here because the what is this guy? Is he the police commissioner? Is he or what? What's his what's yeah, his yeah, commission? Yeah, he's like the Function. commissioner Gordon of uh, you know, of okay. the spirit. That's so, what he emphasized in Bill's book. So he. Um, Okay, I'm sorry, I do see it here where it says Commissioner Dolan. All right, so after they think that, uh, what's his name, Denny? Denny Cole, they think he's dead, and it actually shows his grave and everything. When the spirit comes to the commissioner, 
the commissioner says, Denny says, you're alive, but it can't be. I saw you buried. And the, the spirit does say I was. So that just raised more questions to me, like, OK, is he being literal? Was he literally buried? And if he was, how did he get out? Does that imply that he also has because he's very Batman like in a lot of ways. So is this implying that he also has like escape artist skills? Like, did he literally escape from being buried alive? But also I'm thinking, I mean, even as far back as. The, the 40s, when I'm assuming this is supposed to be, you know, didn't they autopsy people? So <laughs> you know, did they literally just, you know, listen to him with his stethoscope, go, eh, he's dead and just bury him as he was. They didn't do mm-hmm. any sort of autopsy stuff on him or anything. And, you know, so, wow, he, you know, he really lucked out in that aspect. So it was just kind of weird in that. And then so I don't, I don't think, well, I guess uh, I don't know. I'm not an autopsy aficionado. But I don't know if every <laughs> single person that dies is autopsied. I think sometimes it's, uh, you know, it can be decided by the family or, or if there's a suspicion into the cause of death that an autopsy, like I don't think they take the resources and autopsy every single person that dies. Yes, I, I think you're absolutely right. correct. Okay. All right. But so yeah, I, you, I can you would think a doctor would have gone, let's, let's listen. Um, hmm. Nope, nothing there. You know, <laughs> maybe listen a little longer. But if it's the well, 40s, that, you know, they wouldn't have certain machines and technology that we have today. The autopsy thing was kind of a was kind of a nitpick, but the thing with him actually being buried alive, it, it, it's also a bit of a nitpick. But I think that that lends into making the character potentially that much cooler if you explored that a little bit. Like he w- he was actually buried, but. He escaped. How did he do that? Well, it turns out that he's, you know, well practiced in escapism or whatever the hell, you know, just to give him a little more oomph because I'm enjoying the story. I'm digging it up to this point. But then he tells the commissioner, he says, you know, when the commissioner is going to call the papers to, to report that he's actually not dead, he says, no, no, wait, I've got an idea. And he comes up with the whole masked identity thing and he's going to call himself the spirit and so it, it, it has almost a supernatural thing to it. But then he's smiling and they're both smiling at each other and it's very lighthearted. And so it's like it for me, it kind of killed the mood. It's like, all right, you now you're you're a man with no identity. You're you're a man literally risen from the grave to go out and fight crime. And instead of going like a shadow route he's going this light jokey and and it just it just the, the tone conflicted for me I'm, i wasn't really sure like okay what where the hell are they going with it what what's what's the point i guess so it's just kind of strange that um you know that he's he's adopting a, a grim or sort of grim visage and a grim name but then it all it's all smiles at the end of the story. I just thought that was really weird. It w- it'd be like looking at, which Paul and I just did recently, it'd be like looking at Batman's origin, right? And, and you know, Bruce Wayne, I shall become a bat. And he adopts himself the bat uniform and everything. But then at the end of the, uh, the, the story, you know, he's all chummy and smiles with Commissioner Court. It just doesn't fit that character. And that's kind of how I looked at this. It's like, I don't know anything about the spirit. But I'm just looking at it and going, well, this doesn't really seem to fit the tone of the rest of the story. So I thought that was really kind of weird. So 
for that aspect, I, I, I had to kind of knock it down a little bit. But overall, I, I, I enjoyed it. Um, I thought that the art was really good. I thought the story was pretty good. I was thinking that with this being an older property and all, when he gets the guy's head stuck in that thing, I actually <laughs> thought that he was going to turn and like kill him, like break his neck and twist his head off. I was actually kind of disappointed that he got out because I thought, what a great way to take your enemy out if that's what he was doing, you know? So I like that he fights dirty. Uh, that part of it I thought was kind of cool. He had kind of an Indiana Jones's kind of vibe in that aspect because he didn't mind. I mean, he's very rough and tumble, you know? And I liked that. He get he gets ruffled. He's not James Bond. You know, he gets beat up and he gets ruffled and, you know, his tie gets mussed and all that sort of thing. So that that aspect of it was really cool. So. So over anyway, just looking at just the first story, overall grade for the first story, um, story and art together. I, I think I'd have to go. Uh, I think I'd go like a B minus on it because I, I did enjoy it. I thought it was really good. I just wish I got a better better handle on what the tone was that they were trying to strike at the at the end of the story. Is he supposed to be a grim and gritty character or is he supposed to be a light and jokey character? I didn't quite figure that out by the end of the story. So. But I'm not so I'm sure either. Go forward. I'm trying what to still was that, figure Paul? out. I said I'm not so sure either, even having uh, <laughs> had the, the slightest bit more experience with it than you, having done having this be our second episode. Uh, I'm still not sure if he's, you know, how dark or light he's supposed to be. But based upon the second story from the 1940s that we just reviewed, I'm thinking it it leans towards the noirish. I think it's it's right. like noir for kids. Is what I'm is the way I'm reading. Right. So, a quick search of uh, Wiki Wikipedia, but that's not the end all be all. Talking about the abilities of the spirit, and they list outstanding athlete, outstanding hand to hand combatant, almost superhuman endurance, master detective, superhuman longevity in later non Eisner stories, and healing factor in the movie adaptation. So he's really Batman. And Wolverine. Uh, well, I mean, Wolverine when you get to the later movies. And uh, so, I mean, but uh, at this point, he's really just kind of like Batman, I guess, with with a superhuman endurance, probably from his exposure to that uh, uh, concoction, I guess. Mm, okay. Yeah, we'll we'll definitely be talking more about the the Batman comparison thing because yeah, I I had some real thoughts on that whole thing when we get there. So, well, are we ready for the next one? Sure. All right. So for the next one, um, you guys threw me a real curve with this next one because as soon as I you opened... really just want to blame us for everything, don't you? <laughs> Well, I, you know, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but with the scan that you sent me for the for the book that I'm going to cover, it was really kind of odd because you open it up and there's a cover, there's and then you flip cover. the page and there's another cover, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait, wait, what's going on here? So I did my homework and I looked into this, and so here's what we've got. We we're looking at The Spirit number 12 by Super Comics, which I'd never heard of before. Um, Super Comics, it's dated 1964. I could not find a month on this. 
Um, it was a 12 cent comic. So this issue, um, so it's a reprint the of the 12. It's, of it's 17? All, exactly. It's an almost, almost exact reprint of quality comics. The spirit number 17 from September, 1949. Gotcha. And it turns out that the spirit stories in that book did not originate in that book, but were actually called from various issues of police comics from the year 1946. Are there different stories from different issues all within the year 1946? So essentially what we're looking at here is a near exact reprint of an anthology reprint. Except, <laughs> if that except makes any for the sense. ads, because I could, you know what? This makes so much more sense because I could not figure out yep. why the first ad after the cover has a woman in like a, in a 1960s bathing suit telling you to gain what? weight. I'm like, right, right. This doesn't make any sense. Right. What? So that's why I said near exact, because the cover is different. The ads are different. And there was uh, a text piece. And I think there's one cartoon, you know, like a one pager that that is not in this reprint. But otherwise, the features are all the same and they're in the same order as the quality issue. It's just mostly the cover and the ads that are different. I must and, say, Quinn O'Hara was quite the looker. <laughs> Don't let them call you. Well, I just want to say. Before we get into the story proper, that that ad you're talking about on the inside front cover, um, I don't think you and I, Bill, get enough credit for having really. I mean, it says right at the top of the ad, "Don't let them call you skinny." Well, goddammit, I haven't been called skinny in probably four decades, so good on me. Wait, why, why would you exclude me on. from that? Excuse me. Wait on. <laughs> What what basis is there to exclude me from that? Who's calling me skinny? Well, you know what this stuff that this is probably like uh uh like human growth hormone or you know steroids. Yeah, drink this. Yeah, you'll be great. Weight on condensed food tablets. That's the last thing I need. Ask for amazing weight on W A T E on weight on weight drop off. drop. Oh, Drop it in my Diet Mountain Dew, and I'll watch it explode like a Mentos in a Diet Coke. <laughs> you ever see those? You ever see those like things that they sell? They're like sponges, but they're like really small, and you put them in water, and they just yes. expand. I'm thinking, I'm thinking oh, right. you, you have a sip of this thing, and that's what happens to your body. <laughs> now, now we're not going to cover oh, the first story. The first story? No, I'm covering the third, oh. the last story, the last oh. spirit story in I the book. I just want to make one comment, all right? Because I read the first story with the with the uh, horrible Italian stereotype monkey grinder. Ah, <laughs> uh, it's right. a police man. Hey, I didn't see you nothing. Ah, uh, excuse my monkey. He freaks out when there's a fire in the paper. <laughs> Please, okay, this is gonna come straight straight from the comic. Please, Mr. Dolan, he don't know bull better. Throw it in papers when he sees it of wood thrown in. Get at him before I cut that monkey down to a marmoset. <laughs> okay. And I then the next, the next page. Oh, but the next page, the spirit's tailing the monkey guy, right? With the Clothing guy with grinder. the monkey. And then the spirit walks around a corner, and I, I, I went past this the first time, and then I went back and went, wait a minute. The monkey's smoking – 
with the guy with the monkey grinder. I'm like, what is going on here? I'm like, that was like, wait a minute. I think you could actually teach a monkey to smoke, honestly. I think stupid as it is, I think I think I remember like what was it? Fred J. Muggs smoking cigarettes on like back in the '60s and stuff, and like what was it? Link Lancelot or Lancelot Link? Lancelot Link, secret chimp. So that's why I was kind of like, wait a minute. Is he really? But he's like sitting like a human, but he could be. But then yeah, he's later, got his legs it's, crossed. Yeah, yeah. But then when it's revealed that <laughs> and it's he's really blowing a, guy, a smoke ring, <laughs> he's blowing a smoke ring. I'm like, that's one trained monkey. I'm like, wait a second. Uh, something's not right here. And then then they figure out that it was like a guy inside a monkey suit and it was a scam and all the jewels were in the monkey grinder thing. But anyway, all right. That's all I wanted to say about that. Is the commissioner supposed to be an idiot? I didn't uh, quite figure that out because this story he looks makes like, him like seem like Gabby a Gabby Hayes or, you know, just with that pipe. Right. He looks like an idiot. Because <laughs> when the when the organ grinder's monkey throws the, the papers, which are the only files they have on on the, the suspect. That's the only pictures of those case, guys. And then the the commissioner doesn't get the least suspicious about this. The, the thankfully the spirit does because then he tails the the organ grinder. So he right off right out of the gate he was already suspicious of the whole setup. But my first thought at the beginning of the story was the monkey grinder's the lookout man for mm-hmm. the the crooks, and this never seems to occur to the commissioner even after the monkey disposes of the the. <laughs> Whatever I was going to say, evidence. It's not evidence, but you know the the mug shots. He and never gets the... suspicious at all. I'm thinking, how the hell did you get to be, you know, the police commissioner? And this never even occurred to you that the that the grind, organ grinder guy is the lookout man. How did that ne- that thought never occur to you? I thought that was really kind of silly. And the monkey's name was Pietro. <laughs> Pietro. You batted the monk. Well, as fun as that story is, or not, we're actually looking <laughs> at the last story uh, in the book. Um, that story is actually titleless, but uh, as it is the story that's represented on the front cover, we're going to call it what the front cover calls it, which is Menace of the Metal Monsters. So it was originally pro- published in uh, Police Comics number 60, November 1946, by Quality Comics. Written, according to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, by William Wolfock. Uh, art by Lou Fine. The spirit decides to look in on a series of mysterious robberies. His sidekick, Ebony, fearing that his eyes are playing tricks on him, shows the spirit something he saw but just couldn't believe. A large, steel-fisted robot that some thugs are using to pull off smash-and-grab heists. The spirit makes quick work of the hoods, and then he and Ebony rewire the robot to return from whence it came, where it leads the masked crime fighter right to the bad guys by smashing... Uh, into their hideout and creating mayhem while he rounds them all up nice and tidy for the police. And that's pretty much the long and short of this story. Um, I liked this one. I I liked this one because much like the cover itself, it reminded me of the mechanical monsters episode of uh, the old Superman Fleischer cartoons. Hmm. 
And I was curious, you know, how close the story was going to mirror the cover, which I, it just occurred to me, I didn't really talk about the cover. So the original cover for uh, the spirit numbers, the quality issue, spirit 17 um, from back in 49, it, it's completely different cover. It's the organ grinder story. Uh, it's got the organ grinder and then it has uh, his monkey is actually looting like a, like a night drop box at a central bank. But the new cover for, uh, the spirit number 12 by super comics it's from the metal monsters story and it's weird because if you didn't know anything about the spirit which again i really didn't going into the story it almost makes him look like he's super strong or something like like he's actually like a super powered character because he's he's not wearing his standard you know suit and tie and all that he's in blue jeans and a white shirt with his blue gloves and his mask. But then he's got a robot held over his head and he looks like he's about to smash the robot's creator or something with the robot. So it, it does to me anyway, it makes him look like he's super strong. So See, I, I think thought it's a maybe misleading cover. I thought maybe for an instant, but the robot has wheels that the robot was flying and he was hanging onto it to follow it back to its lair where he finds Jimmy Olsen. I mean, the guy controlling the robots. Right. Yeah, that could be too. See, I didn't think it was Jimmy Olsen. I thought it was Danny Kay. <laughs> Danny Kay. <laughs> Especially on the splash page. He's going to sing him to death. With, with like nonsense songs. As far as the story <laughs> itself, um, yeah, I mean it's it's short, it's sweet. There's not a lot to it, really, honestly. Um, you know, it's it's such a short story. It really there's not a lot of nonsense to it. It just kind of does what it does, and it's you know. Well, the nonsense is Commissioner Nolan. He's like standing up in his chair with. <laughs> he's got all his phones off the hook. He's got his he's got his head down on the desk. Listen, I mean, it's like, wow, man, you you're a commissioner. You don't have your 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 shit together, buddy. <laughs> yeah, like that's panicking. why I was wondering if he's, if he's supposed to be incompetent. You know, is, is that what you're supposed to get from this character? Mm -hmm. Is that he's, you know, he's not very good at his job type of thing? Because this is the second story, you know, with him where he just, you know, he's just kind of ineffectual. So I wasn't really sure what the deal was with with him because, you know, in your story, he's portrayed much more as, you know, the spirits uh, Commissioner Gordon. You know, he's Commissioner Gordon to the spirits Batman. Whereas well, I this, think that's he, because of the nature not, of that story. Yeah, he's not really that at all in, in these stories, you know, these other stories that we're seeing. He's just kind of, I don't know, I, I can't quite figure figure the whole thing out but then again i'm not quite i'm still not quite figuring the spirit himself out um because in this one he seems like you know he's operating in broad daylight he really you know for the you know the stylized look of him with the mask and everything beyond that he doesn't really have much of a gimmick he just kind of charges in with flying fists and that's pretty much it i don't see where he carries a gun he doesn't seem to really have any gadgets or anything so i mean is that is this really all there is to this character he's just a well i a do think he's supposed to be a great detective too though i don't think they're portraying okay. him so much 
but I think that is supposed to be part of the story. I, I don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to belittle the character. I'm I'm just kind of befuddled by why is he such a big deal when there's so many other more colorful characters out there. You know, Superman and Batman. You know, they're obvious. You know, you you look at them and you see what's special about them. With this guy here, I'm, I'm not quite without any gimmicks or anything. I'm not quite sure. I'm trying to figure out what's supposed to make him so special. I'm not. I'm just not really seeing it. Are you guys? No, that's part of what I was talking about <laughs> earlier. That you know, I'm looking okay. for it, uh, and I'm seeing. I'm seeing glimpses of things. I think, but I'm not seeing the overall uh, groundbreaking thing that I that I'm expecting. Right. And I do. I do see. I do see some some touches in the artwork, uh, in this particular story. I, that splash page that I mentioned with you know the the Danny K looking guy. Uh, I think that looks really good. I, I think that's a pretty cool you know looking looking image with you know him him handling yeah, the robots in his some, hands. It's got some menace to it. Yeah. Then then in the story itself, you know, I'm seeing some film some some noirish moments. I'm seeing some dark. Uh, moody scenes. I'm not seeing quite the groundbreaking images that I'm expecting. Is is where I think I'm falling short. And some of the facial renditions are a little bit more cartoonish than I would like. But the actual, like the robots, I think they're really cool looking. Uh, the the choices, you know, the angles and all of that. I think you know it's it's pretty well done. I think you know again, I think that that Will Eisner may have been breaking some ground here that doesn't seem as groundbreaking to us because it's more commonplace now. But, you know, you remember how how simple artwork was in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. That's what I'm thinking from this, because I really do like the art. Um, It gives me a serious, like, Joe Staten vibe. Um, it gives me a very strong um, Jack Cole vibe, which I've always thought Jack Cole was way ahead of his time because you look at a lot of the other art of the time that he was doing Plastic Man, uh, you know, the the other artwork in the Golden Age, and it and it's just nowhere near the level of stuff that he was putting out. But his stuff was it's it had this strange mix of crime noir and cartoon it was like it was like plastic man was a was a living cartoon within a crime noir world and that's kind of what sort of is going on here is that this is a very crime noir world but then there are cartoon characters in it because i see the commissioner is extremely cartoony um he he looks to me like he'd be right at home in like joe staten's e-man or something like that and then, you, of course, you've got um, Ebony, who's just so over-the-top um, stereotyped, you know, as a racial stereotype for this era, that he's you know, way into cartoon land. He, he doesn't really fit with the other characters around him at all. I don't he, even think he's portrayed as a human being. Almost. I was just going to say, he's not even human compared no. to... Yeah, exactly. Which is which is sad, right? I mean, it's it's not just an exaggeration of you know of his 
uh, characteristics, it's it's pushed him out of of humanity. Honestly, he's he's like a living cartoon of of some other some other thing. Yeah, it's it's really odd. So, I mean, you could say, you know, if if all the other characters were drawn in the same manner, then it would be just the style of of that. But he just sticks out so badly. Right. Yeah, he does. But again, that, you know, putting the the racial stuff aside for a moment, it's again, to me, it pulls me back to, like, say, Plastic Man, because Plastic Man had Doiby Dickles and Doiby Dickles wasn't really human when you looked at him in comparison with the other characters around him. He was drawn. He was exaggerated. So he was again, he was like a cartoon person in an otherwise real world. And that's kind of what you've got with. I think both the commissioner and then again, definitely with, uh, with Ebony. But the, the sad thing with Ebony though, is that it's not, it's not done because he was the cartoony sidekick. It's done because it was the, you know, it was exaggerating, you know, the, the racial thing with him. And that, that's where you get into very, it makes me very uncomfortable. That's why, I, you know, really didn't mention him at all in, in my synopsis or why. And it's, also, why I went with this story, which I honestly did like the best of, of the different stories in here, but I went with that story instead of the one in the middle, which I actually thought maybe have, had a little more bite to it, but I just didn't like. I, I was uncomfortable with the with the um, ebony stuff in that second story. I think he's even more exaggerated in the in the second story, and and the way he speaks and everything is just like. Yeah. <laughs> so it, it's hard to defend stuff like that, you know, these days. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that sometimes with um, stuff like that, I... you have to uh, take it as a product of its time. And, you know, it, it's it's yes, it's a, a bad stereotype. And yes, it is insensitive. And I could see where people would be very insulted by it. But uh, I, I, you know, I don't have any reason to believe that Will Eisner meant any harm to. Uh, so I'll just kind of be ready to gloss over it and move on, you know? Right. Right. Well, yeah, exactly. You mean like, like a man with a monkey and a meat grinder. <laughs> exactly. Well, as, <laughs> as, as, a, as, 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 as a, somebody of Italian descent, I could choose to be very offended by that. And I'm going to just kind of let it go. Oh, you would love to sit on a corner with a monkey smoking a cigar. <laughs> oh, you know, I would, I'm on board for that in a heartbeat. CC, Mr. Policeman, is it going to that alley? Can you give up my monkey a cigarette? See, you're, what you're doing is actually less offensive than what's in the issue, though. It's so far over the top in the issue that it was hard to read. I, I mean, like, like hard to follow, hard to read. Not, like, hard to read because it was so insensitive. It was hard to read because it was like, what the hell is he saying, you know? The, uh, the I have no problem understanding it. Oh, okay. Um, I actually enjoyed this more for what I learned from it. So I looked up both William Wolfhook and uh, and Lou Fine. Now, I had heard of Lou Fine, but I didn't really know anything about him. Um, But William Wolfhook was was a new one on me. I don't think I'd ever heard the name before. And trying to find it here. There was something interesting about. Oh, yeah. 
Uh, now, again, this is all from Wikipedia, so you got to take it with a big old grain of salt. But according to Wikipedia, Wolfolk himself claimed that he had created Captain Marvel's uh, catchphrase of holy moly. And I thought that was kind of interesting because I'd never heard that attributed to anybody else before. I thought that was C.C. Beck. Um, and then the one about Lou Fine I found really interesting. Um, there's a, a lot of great reading here, so I, you know, I'll leave you to look it up yourself at some point and read up on this guy. But I thought you in particular, Paul, might find this interesting. So Joe Simon, you know, co-creator of Captain America and all that, um, called uh, Lou Fine his favorite artist. And he said he was also Jack Kirby's favorite artist. And this is uh, Joe Simon speaking. He says, I know that Jack was a fan of and greatly influenced by Fine's work. Uh, Fine is credited with being the first comics artist to draw a line of saliva running between the upper and lower teeth in a character's open mouth, a device commonly associated with Jack Kirby. I thought that was really cool. That was a big Herb Trimpy and Salbucema thing. Salbucema, yeah. When they drew the whole thing, that was a frequent thing. Yeah, I know we've commented on it several times on the show, so I thought that was interesting that uh, that apparently Lou finds the one that came up with that. But yeah, his uh, his whole Wikipedia uh, biography here is very interesting reading. If uh, if you guys get the time at some point, I will I will leave you and the listeners to look that up on your own. And then the other thing is at the very end of the story, um, after the spirit rounds everybody up and everything. There's a shot. There's just a one panel shot of him and Ebony standing at what looks like the back of a truck. And the spirit says, it's not a black Maria, but it'll do. And uh, Ebony's going, get in there. And I thought, what, what the hell are they talking about? So I looked it up. So a, a black Maria is like, if you ever see an old, uh, like an old timey movie or old timey pictures of when the police would pull up like in a horse drawn paddy wagon, essentially like a usually painted black and they'd throw the people on the back. Kind of like what they put Charlton Heston into when they first capture him in Planet of the Apes. Mm-hmm. Apparently that's a black Maria. I, I'd never heard of this before. Um, but yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting, but yeah, if you pull up uh, Black Maria on uh, on a Google search, the, there's all kinds of old timey pictures of them and everything. So, who says you can't learn things from funny books? Not me. And then, uh, <laughs> the other thing I wanted to mention just before I forget to was that the only other thing I knew about the spirit coming into this character was that um, he was the inspiration for uh, a character called Midnight who uh, I remember at one point was a member of, uh, of the all-star squadron. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this character, but he essentially, he looks exactly like the spirit. And I did some reading up on that. And essentially um, I forget who the publisher was, but whoever the original publisher of Eisner's spirit was created midnight so that he would essentially have a spirit ripoff handy in case Eisner went off and did his own thing or whatever. And apparently this was a trick this guy would pull frequently with duplicating characters or having a, a duplicate standing by, uh, which is kind of a, it <laughs> seems like kind of a shady underhanded thing to do, but one way or another that, that midnight character eventually made his way to, to DC and was, uh, was a member of the all-stars at one point. So 
that was and that's the grand total of what I knew about the spirit coming into all this stuff. So And you're not gonna walk away knowing a lot more. <laughs> so what'd you guys think of this one? I think we kinda kinda hit on it already. Uh okay. <laughs> simple story. I liked the artwork. That's really the most basic uh description I can give for it. Okay. Well, we'll go ahead and jump to grades real quick then, I guess. Um, I'm going to go with grading um, just the cover of the reprint of the of the Super Comics number 12. Um, cover, i got to be honest, I don't really care for the cover. Um, uh, it intrigued me just from that, you know, that nostalgia angle of, you know, the menace of the metal monsters and, and the, just the whole setup of it and everything reminded me so strongly of uh, of the mechanical monsters from the old Superman Fleischer cartoon. But beyond that, I mean, it's just a very superficial resemblance. And I, I really don't care for the art here. And it's just kind of strange that, you know, if you're going to put the character, you know, on the cover, and, and this is, a you know, the big reprint revival of him and everything, why wouldn't you make him have the iconic look of the character and he doesn't at all beyond the mask it, it really doesn't look like the spirit at all so it's kind of strange well through uh, most of that story though once he gets what like the first third he's out of his hat and he's out of his jacket and he's wearing that white shirt mask and pants for the like the bulk of the story oh in the story itself you mean yeah 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 you're right you're right i hadn't noticed that but yeah you're right so maybe it's Maybe it's not so misrepresented after all. Yeah, I, I hadn't caught that, but you're right. Because in the th- fourth page of the story, he's out of yeah. his hat and his uh, and his jacket, and then at some point his tie comes off too. Yeah, well, you're so. right. Okay. Um. See, on the cover, I, I think I'd just go. I'm just going to go a middle of the road C on it. I, I'm. I'm not real crazy about it myself. The story itself, though, I really like the art. I thought the art was very impressive uh, in this one. It's 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 very high quality, uh, especially for this era. And I kind of like the mix of the cartoony with the real world stuff. It gives it its own unique look. And uh, and it really does strongly remind me of you know who I mentioned before you know Joe Staten or uh, or Jack Cole that sort of thing. Um, the story itself, I mean, there's really not much to it. I mean, my synopsis really pretty much wraps it. It's a very simple uh, story, so it, it still didn't give me really much of a of an insight into this character. What, but it was fun. It was it was interesting. It's it's pretty slam bang, which I, I'm guessing that's what this character is essentially so you know on that level i'd say uh i'll say a solid b plus for the art because i really did like the artwork the story and eh, stories is, is a c plus i mean there's there's really not much to it at all so overall great on this one um i'll, I'll say a i'll say a c plus on the overall uh, issue itself for you know the the story and uh, and cover combined. I did read the whole issue on this one. Unlike Paul's, I did not read all of Paul's, but I did read all of this one, uh, all the spirit stories, and uh, and I thought overall I thought they were all pretty good, both uh, story and art wise. The dog okay. likes it too. 
yeah, clearly. <laughs> I thought the uh, the artwork uh, on the cover uh, it it reminded me of kind of what you'd see, uh, you know, in, in golden age books. So for that reason, I mean, I guess it is a golden age book, but for that reason, it, it just it, it brought back nostalgia for something that I've never seen before. So that's kind of a weird thought. Uh, but it, I, I don't know. It, it, it almost feels to me like it's Superman uh, facing off against the uh, toy man looking at the cover. And then, like you said, the connection with the Superman cartoons, it's it's right. like, like I said, it, it, give, it gave me a feeling of nostalgia for something I never saw before. But just the same, uh, I don't know, I found it somewhat compelling. Uh, looking at it, I mean, it's not a greatly drawn cover, and it's not really, you know, particularly dynamic. Uh, so I'm kind of I'm kind of torn going back and forth. I'm going to say a C plus, just because I it, it left me a little intrigued. The story, as you said, it's really simple. It's fast. It's not you know there's not anything groundbreaking to it. Nothing particularly special in it. Uh, so the story, I'm I'm just going to say it's you know an average, nothing special C. Uh, it's not bad. It's not great. It's just a C. But the artwork, I see glimpses in here of something that, you know, again, uh, a lot, lot of dark imagery and, and just well, well paced story with, you know, pretty interesting looking uh, panel layouts. Uh, so I'm going to say I'm going to say a B plus on the interior artwork. And overall, I'll give the book a B minus. Well, I will give the cover. I'm gonna give the cover a. Uh, you know, the cover looks like Clark Kent cosplaying as a spirit, fighting Jimmy Olsen cosplaying as a toy man. <laughs> um. So. What? Uh, you ain't wrong. <laughs> what? I said that's funny because you ain't wrong. That's, that's yeah. <laughs> um. He just needs his little spit girl, and he'd be Clark Kent or, you know, Superman. So um, I'll give the cover a – give it a C++. The story yeah, – C. And the art – I mean, at times the art, it's, it's a little different here and there. I do like the robots. I think I'll give the art a B. So we're looking at uh, B minus C plus for me. Okay, so then I guess we're going to come to the modern era and take a look at Dr. Bill's book. Yes. Yes. Yes, this is Batman and the Spirit from January 2007. Cover artist Darwin Cook, writer Jeff Loeb, penciler Darwin Cook, anchors Jay Bone, colorist Dave Stewart, letters Comic Craft, and you know what? No, what, Bill? I, I think – I don't think I have – I don't remember actually reading any Darwin Cook stories with where he's well, done the art. Did you ever read New Frontier? That's his most common, nope. most popular one. Nope. I hadn't read it yet. Okay. And I'm not sure what else he did. did. You- I know. Did you watch much of uh, the DC animated universe? You know, like like Batman yes. the animated series, Superman the animated series. Oh yeah, he yeah. He was 
he worked on that quite a bit. Okay, because um, I, I could see that in here a lot. So, but I thought there was Bruce Tim. Yeah, yeah, with, with oh, Bruce Tim and those oh, with guys. Bruce, yeah. Okay, yeah, because yeah. I could see, like, I know I've seen this looks very familiar, but I couldn't picture it in a comic book, and I I have not read the New Frontiers. I don't know why, just hadn't got to it. So, uh, rather than synopsize all 43 pages, this uh, I I mentioned to Paul the other night that this was kind of a 1960s camp of a mishmash of both rogues galleries of Batman and the spirit. I mean, a quick overall view of the book is that uh, Batman's rogues are going after um, Nolan while uh, Nolan's rogues are going after Batman. I mean, would you agree that's kind of a, uh, I mean, there's a little bit of stuff with the Joker in the beginning, and there's this whole thing of a crime convention, and it's actually taking place at the same time, which I believe it was it was the Policeman's Benevolent Association Annual Law Enforcement Convention. Now, mm-hmm. I, was that set up by the villains, or was this something they were going to do all along? That was something I wasn't really – I might have missed because it is a pretty meaty story. Yeah, I wasn't sure if they said – if. I don't think they set it up so much as they decided to take advantage of it. That's the impression I had. Right. Okay. Yeah, because Poison Ivy brainwashes uh, Nolan, which, I mean, kind of still leads to the fact that maybe he he is an idiot. And um, Oh, he's definitely acting like an idiot in this book. <laughs> well, especially when he gets smooched on by Poison Ivy. And they brainwash him to supposedly kill uh, the commissioner at the Benevolent Association. And then meanwhile, uh, like Catwoman is uh, – she finds the spirit and she's luring him him into a trap. And I – anybody that's interested in reading it, I would seek it out. I think it's fun. You know, and, and of course there's a reveal with the Joker, but then the Joker actually turns out to be um, – what was he? He was actually – oh, yeah. You think it's Commissioner Gordon that's about to be killed by Nolan, but it's the Joker. And then uh, the guy that was dressed up as Batman is actually the spirit. And then the spirit is actually Batman. Oh, hilarity ensues. And then we get a cameo at the end by Scott. Superman. That's right, because they're like, oh, we think they got away up on a boat. You know, we got to track down all the rogues, and and Batman just points to the sky. Look up in the sky, and you see Superman flying away with a yacht. And then uh, every time Batman, you know, um, the spirit's like, "Who are you? I'm Batman." Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that. <laughs> so that's kind of a down and dirty. I mean, there's a lot of appearances by a lot of rogues. You've got killer croc. You've got, uh, the mad hatter, um, the Cossack who's a, uh, uh, spirit rogue. Uh, some of the ladies would peg, peg, peg now, peg. Uh, what, what the heck is her name? Yeah. Um, I couldn't figure out. How uh, Madam. Pagell. Yeah, Hell, I guess. Mr. Yeah. Carrion, Octopus, and then uh, the Batman rogues. There's a lot more Batman rogues. Penguin, Poison Ivy, Riddler, Ventriloquist, Scarface, Joker, Harley Quinn, Catwoman, Killer Croc, Mad Hatter. So well, Batman more... is pretty much accepted as having like the best rogues gallery of any 
superhero comics. So yeah, I think I think you know you just it's easy it's easy for them to just focus on that. Well, one of the opening scenes in in this where um, the the spirit is uh, it almost seems like he's got luck powers or like like you said Scott earlier escape artist powers because right. he gets out of this this exploding warehouse and he's hung up by his coat hook but by his by his coat on a power line and he's just kind of you know it 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 seems like he's got some type of power but then again this is a later I- I- iteration um of it yeah this is so. 2007 mhm so at this point maybe they have given him some type of powers and then at the at the costume party there's a lot of like uh, you know, you could see some uh, funny costumes. You've got Nolan is dressed as uh, Sherlock Holmes and Ivy is Watson. <laughs> She's wearing a mustache. Uh, and, of course, uh, the spirit's just walking around as a spirit. Batman's walking around as Batman. <laughs> so overall, I had I thought it was a fun book. I found it to be a fun book. I, I would say to me the the most interesting thing was, you know, early in the book when the spirit is uh on Pier sixteen and he's running and then there's the you know, the collapse of the building. The letters are falling and he's going to them. Yeah, the letters are falling and and they actually spell spirit in the way they're falling and he's oh, falling among I them. That. I see and that, that to me is a takeoff on the what I expect to see from Will Eisner, or what right. I expect dead to see, and I didn't. And I think that's again. I think we have to find out where we're going to see that stuff. Uh, the artwork now, Darwin Cook. Uh, I know Scott is not a fan, and I do like New Frontier, so we're, we differ on that. Uh, I used to listen. Jimmy Palmiotti was doing a podcast for a while, and Darwin Cook and Jimmy were apparently very close friends, and Darwin would appear on it every once in a while. And it basically sounded like two buddies sitting around having a drink and, you know, just, you know, like after dinner, having a couple of beers and talking, uh, which is, I guess, exactly what we would sound like if we lived close enough to actually physically hang out. <laughs> so I, I always appreciated that. And I, I, uh, I remember talking to Jimmy Palmiotti after Darwin passed and, and saying like, I kind of likened him, uh, to Dean Martin. That's, that's just kind of the, the, the cool presentation he gave that I took. And, and Jimmy was like, yes, that's exactly what he was. He was like Dean Martin. Uh, and, and I, I just always got a kick out of that. So I, I have a, like a soft spot for him and his artwork based on, I, I kind of like it to begin with. And then you add to it that I just thought he was a really cool guy. Uh, so, you know, you add that all together and it, it just makes me want to like it even more. That said, there's a couple of shots of, of Batman where he's just, I don't know, just kind of the angles that he has him at just makes him look like compressed. Like he just doesn't look right. Uh, like where he's so, saying, I'm coming for you, Joker. I, Yes. Oh, you know what I just realized? His cape spells Batman. I, you know what? I didn't, I didn't see that either until just now. Right in his cape. Just like from the 60s. Yeah, I didn't catch that either. Right from 
right from the 60s show when, and, know, and when that's, he goes. That's, that's pretty clever, and I, I really, you know, I like that. There's probably more stuff in this artwork that we're missing. Uh, it's like he makes it cartoony, and that, that makes you look maybe perhaps too too superficially at it, and you don't notice stuff like that. Uh, but I do think I do think there is a level of talent there, uh, you know, of serious talent there, and I think it's meant to be kind of lighthearted in the story. So I think the artwork kind of fits that. I think if this was meant to be a heavy story, it, I, I, I think Darwin Cook had the chops to do it, but I don't think he needed to do it with this particular story and make it as you know as as realistic as he could have. Uh, and I, th- I think it was, it's probably better served that he didn't, uh, you know, all that said, again, it's, it's got some of that 60 Batman sixties silliness going to it, but you know, overall I liked it. Um, uh, I find, you know, again, Darwin cook, I have a very soft spot for Jeff Loeb who wrote this. I can't say the same thing about, it. I think Jeff Loeb's stories are <laughs> often very, very superficial. Uh, and I'm not sure that this one really escapes that, although it is a fun story. But I, I just find that, you know, Jeff Loeb is the master of the story that you could read in, in three minutes. Yep. So, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't know that this really, you know, escaped that. You know, this is a, a fairly quick read. The biggest reason that, that it would slow you down is, I think, to admire some of Darwin Cook's artwork and to take note of like all the different characters that are getting worked into it. But the story itself is nothing too complex. Yeah, we get, we also get, you know, when uh, the spirit and Batman meet up, of course they fight each other first and, you know, because all heroes have to fight first before they team up. Yeah, pretty much. Man, what is with that one piece of hair on Nolan's head? Just, just cut that thing off, man. It's, it's sometimes, sometimes it's, it's a, a little, little shock of hair, and sometimes it looks like it's a horn. It's like a shark fin. I wonder if that's why Commissioner Gordon on Batman the Animated Series had that weird cowlick like piece of hair sticking up because he had that like curly cue thing at the front of his head. Mm. That did the same thing in the in the original version of that before they did the restyling, and I wonder if that was supposed to be a nod to that character or something. I, I don't. It never really occurred to me before. You know what I'm talking about? I think I'm, I'm having a tough time picturing it offhand. Next time I next time I watch one, I'll I'll take note though. I don't know. I, for me, this was this was a re- serious mixed bag. I know one thing: if I'd paid four ninety nine for it, I'd have been really pissed because I, I don't. I, I think this. If you're gonna own this, this is the perfect like like dollar bin at most book. You know, this is something you find on the cheap in the in the back issues. This is not something I would have rushed straight out and, and paid five. Well, bucks. I mean. It was a lot of pages for the time. I mean, now you pay four ninety nine for half the pages. Right. I I also couldn't help but feel like this one was I don't know, I mean, there's I, I love comic book crossovers with, with characters. I mean some of my, my fondest memories 
of comics growing up were things like Superman versus the Amazing Spider-Man or or even the second Superman Spider-Man team up or Batman versus the Hulk or you know there there's been some really epic ones over the years and you know there's a whole list of characters that you could name that would be like wouldn't it be fun if so and so met so and so but then Sometimes, and I think this is a really good example, when you start to think about the dynamics of how would that actually work, that you realize eh, that probably wouldn't be that great because they, they don't really either they don't really operate in the same world or, you know, they don't really stand toe to toe. And I think that was my problem with this story is that you've got Batman and this is. You know, this is pretty quintessential Batman with all his rogues gallery, with all his gadgets, with, you know, with Robin, with, you know, everything, everything that you associate as quintessential Batman. Plus, you know, he's. Version of Batman as well. You know, he's the master you know, strategist. He's the master fighter. You know, he's, he's better, smarter, smugger in all of that. And then you've got the the spirit, which again I really don't know much about this guy, so I'm just bringing what I'm what I'm seeing here on the printed page. But just my impression of him from the way the story opens is that essentially he's not a hero, he's not a super, he's definitely not a superhero. He's an adventurer who just happens to get by by the skin of his teeth and dumb luck. So he's more and like so Indiana Jones. Yes. So I'm glad you said that because that's where I was going. So I know another big one that that fanboys toss around all the time and I do it myself because I there's there's a side of me that just says, God, that would be so much fun is Superman or excuse me. I don't know why I said Superman, Indiana Jones, rather, and Captain America. You know, because they're two World War II characters or, you know, potentially World War II characters. And wouldn't that be cool if they could team up and they could have an adventure well, think about that for a minute, especially if you think about it live action, right? You take Harrison Ford as Indiana Jones in his prime, say just after uh, Temple of Doom, right? And you take uh, Chris, uh, whatever the Evans. hell his name is, Evans, you know, from Captain America First Avenger, and you throw them in the same movie together on a, on a World War II adventure, and it'd be so mismatched, man. It would be so unbalanced because you've got, you know, the superhuman super soldier that can leap and do all these, you know, fantastic things. And then you just got Indiana Jones, who's essentially just a dude, you know. And well, what might be a better team up would maybe be uh, Indiana Jones and Doc Savage. Maybe Indiana Jones and the Rocketeer, you mm. know, something oh, like that. Yeah. But you know what you know what I'm saying? So yeah. you know, you've got you've got the fantastical superhero, and then you've got just this guy, you know, who's who's an adventurer. He's cool. I'm I, you know, I'm not trying to detract anything from him, but at the end of the day, he he's just a dude that that you know he doesn't use gadgets. He uses his wits, his fists, and uh, you know a, a good healthy dose of dumb luck to escape from his situations. And so when you mash him up with Batman, he kind of looks, I, I think it, it, I don't know, I, I think it accentuates that and it makes him look like, I don't know. 
I, I don't want to say he looks like a chump or anything, but he he just he, he's like a tag along on a Batman adventure, if you know what I mean. He he's not standing his ground, whereas other team ups, like say like Batman Spider Man, for example, you know Spider Man brings a lot on his own to to the table, so there's a whole dynamic there. They can play; they're very different characters, but they each bring something, you know. Spider-Man can do things that Batman can't. So, you know, he, he holds his own in that aspect where I'm thinking with the spirit, what, what can he do that Batman can't do or can't do better? So it, I, I think it, I think it actually, in a, in a comparison, you know, in a mashup like this, it, it gives for kind of a poor showing of that. I wanted to understand him better. I wanted to, to discover him and like him better. And I think they really try in this story, but at the end of the day, it's like, and, and Batman himself seems rather dismissive of the spirit, which I think also doesn't help the spirit showing in the story. You know, when, when Batman kind of, I don't know. Well, it, to even know. it out, I think the spirit's also dismissive of Batman because he just keeps like, you know, who are you? Batman. Yeah, yeah, right. You know, that thing. So right. I, yeah. I think that that's I think that's kind yeah. of the running gag there. Right. Um, the only other thing for me to discuss on this one is uh, is Darwin Cook. I I continue to be mystified by why I don't love this guy's art because I feel like I should. He you know was such a big part of uh, of the DC animated universe. His style is so close to Tim uh, Bruce Timms, which I really love Bruce Timms' art. Yet I just don't really like it, and I cannot put my finger on why. I just I don't hate it or anything. Don't get me wrong, and there there are things I see in it that I really like, but as a finished product, I just don't care for it. And it's the same thing with uh, when he did uh, Justice League: New Frontier. Everybody I know loves that that book and loves that story, and I feel like I should, and I just didn't. And a lot of it had to do with the visuals. I just didn't like the way it looked, and it's the same thing with this. And for the life of me, I can't pin down why. I, I feel like I should love it, and I and I just don't really even like it all that much. So yeah, sorry to say I, I didn't I didn't think all that much of this one. I, I wanted to like it more than I did. Honestly, the the only moment of it I really liked all that much was when Superman showed up at the end. I thought that was really cool, but the rest of it was just kind of like, eh, it's a comic. So yeah, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be a downer, but I, it just really didn't do anything for me at all. All right. Well, you know. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. You know, we always go with that. And, <laughs> you know, it's like like you said, you know, you, you sit here and you're saying you don't know why you don't love it more. And, you know, you, it's, sometimes you just like what you like, and that's all. You don't always right. have to have a – there isn't always a uh, reason that you can verbalize to substantiate that. Sometimes it's just a gut feeling. I, I do. I just I feel bad though, you know, saying you that because you know I know the guy's not around anymore. I, you know, my understanding was that he was a, a really nice guy. I actually had the opportunity to meet him once uh, at a convention, and I debated and I debated, and then ultimately I, I didn't go meet him just because I, I wasn't a fan, and I thought, you know, why potentially take 
you know, take time away from somebody else that, that might want to meet him that really is a big fan. And I didn't. And then it wasn't long after that, that, that he passed away. And I felt really bad that, you know, I never got a chance to meet him because he did some, uh, some Jonah Hex covers that, uh, I, I actually rather liked the, I can't remember if he ever did any interiors. I think he just did covers, but I actually kind of liked a couple of the covers that he did. Um, but I was thankful that he didn't do, uh, the, the interiors. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I really respect, you know, the, the stuff that he did, you know, in animation and all. I, I think that's part of it is that I think he's a hell of a layout artist. I mean, the guy's definitely got a, a really good eye for layouts and for the dynamism and all. I, I think it's it's one of those things where it's like I love looking at um, – storyboards of certain artists like i know starenko did a lot of storyboards i want to say starenko storyboarded uh raiders of the lost ark if i'm not mistaken and i really love looking at that stuff but i wouldn't want to see like that be the movie or even like a a whole comic or whatever of it because it was just you know it's it's the layouts it's you know, it's giving you the the thumbnails of what the action should be and that's kind of what i i equate this style to is like it's giving you the layout of of how the thing should flow but as the finished product it just it it falls short for me somehow i don't know if i'm really verbalizing it very well but that's just kind of how i how i look at it um but i think paired with you know the other people he worked with in animation I, i think he delivered some really quality stuff and i can see his style in the animated stuff when i watch it i mean i can definitely pick out you know sequences where i know it's it's him that did it and i really like that stuff but of course he's working more in the in the house style whereas this is you know strictly his style and it's close to bruce tim but you know it's distinct in its own right so i i see merit in it i just at the end of the day i don't really i don't really care for this style and I definitely see what you were saying about Batman. That page where he and the spirit are falling together with all the tiki's around them and everything, the way Batman's head's drawn right there is just really weird. It's got like this squatch and stretch look to his to his face and to his cowl and everything that I just I don't really care for. But oh well. Yeah, Plus so, his life. We're gonna rate rate this one at yeah, yeah. So I found while we were talking, I found uh, two little art things. One is on the uh, actually the second page of the story where Nolan and uh, Gordon are talking, and they're both smoking pipes. And there's uh, out of Nolan's pipe, it kind of the pipe and the smoke from the pipe breaks the screen, but the word balloons go over, and and I could see that. And then it cuts to a dock where there's like steam rising from like a like a sewer grate cover. I can almost see that as right. like an animation or like a movie cut, like right there. Right. Like, couldn't you see that as a scene from a movie mm-hmm. or an animated Absolutely. movie? So that <laughs> I just noticed that the that the Joker was possibly hunting uh, fishing with dynamite or grenades or something or or a gun. Uh, when like the first shot where they're in Hawaii, him and Harley Quinn are in a boat, 
And, you know, he, he, he's, he's even saying, why bother with a rod and reel when it's easier to just shoot the fish in a barrel? And he's got something smoking in his hand. And then later, the, the next page, when you see him walking through the hotel, he's got a, like a big bag of fish. Oh, you know what? They're all smiling. I wonder if he was dropping his, like, his, uh, Joker gas into the water. Maybe that's what he did. Yeah, that's definitely a possibility. So it's just nice little touches like that, that if you look for it, like another one was Poison Ivy's uh, outfit when she first meets him. Her stockings are all like vines on on her legs. So there's a lot of little things in here to, to try to pick up. So uh, for the cover, I mean, it's a pretty plain cover. I mean, it's the two heroes facing each other. Um, I'm going to give it a uh, oh, wait. This just is. In an image nobody else can see. Oh, I see what you're saying. The little flip. Oh, yeah. The little hair flip. I forgot about that. Mm. That's what I was talking about. Interesting. This is on Commissioner Gordon from the animated series, for (laughs) those who are not in the know. So, cover, I'm going to give it a B+. Um, The interior art, I'm also going to dig B plus A minus, and the story, I'm going to give a B plus. Uh, I I enjoyed the story. It was, uh, and this has some readability, rereadability, to go back and look for things. Like, I didn't catch that when the words spelled the spirit. Didn't see that at all the first time. So, So, uh, who's next? Oh, so that would be B plus overall. Solid B plus book. Okay, I'm gonna say the cover is kind of cool looking, but it's nothing. I don't know. I would have liked to seen them actually interacting instead of seeing a facial close up on each side. Uh, but it's it's well drawn. I'm gonna say a B minus on the cover. The interior art, with the exception of some of like like I said, you know, the, the Batman character model seems just a little bit wonky. Other than that, I kind of you know I think that his style is fairly consistent throughout. You know, it is it is cartoony in its presentation, but I think it's very well drawn, and I think there are a lot of little Easter eggs in there if you look hard enough. So I'm gonna say I'm gonna say a B plus on the interior art. Uh, the story, once again, you know, gets me back to my Jeff Loeb rants. Uh, you know, his, his stories are, in my opinion, overly simplistic, but they usually are fairly entertaining. So it's kind of a double-edged sword. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say a, a B minus on the story. And overall, I'm going to give the book just a solid B. Okay. Um, I do like the cover. I, I think... While I agree with you, Paul, I think it could be more dynamic. You know, you could show them fighting or, or doing something together. I think just, you know, that they're, they're doing the the stare-off type of thing and the way it's split right down the middle, um, you know, it, accentu- it, it accentuates the dichotomy between these two characters. That You know, Batman's very dark and, and serious and grim, and he's got the, you know, the gritted teeth and all that, whereas the, the spirit almost looks like he's kind of, like, taking the piss out of Batman. Like he's not taking him seriously whatsoever. He's got a big grin on his face and uh, just, you know, looks brighter and, and more cartoony somehow. So 
you know, accentuating the differences in the characters. So from that angle, it, it kind of works as a cover. So I, I do like that. I, I'd say a, I'll say a B on the cover. I think the cover is actually pretty cool. Um, the interior art, just I don't know. It's just not my style. I, I, you know, I think Darwin Cook has serious chops. You know, I, I like his layouts. I like his visual eye of a scene. I just don't like the finished aesthetic of the art is my is my issue with it. So, um, and a, and his Batman, um, the way he draws Batman here with you know the '60s getup and the and the funny looking, his head looks funny looking in almost every shot of him. Um, he's just his. That's head because is it's weird. Christian Bale. <laughs> his head is just weirdly shaped, and so much of the book. Um, I don't know. I don't want to belabor it too much. I, I'm honestly, I, I gotta go low on this. I, I'm gonna go just just a simple C plus on the art. Um, you know, like I said, solid chops on on layouts and everything. It's just it's it's the finished product that I'm just not crazy with. And then as far as the actual story itself, um, I think they were just trying too hard. You know, they were trying too hard with all the Easter eggs and throwing, you know, so many characters in and, you know, little nods and trying to be too jokey and all. And somewhere in that process of just throwing in all these ingredients, they forgot to tell a good story. Um, I just wasn't really all that intrigued or interested in it. I, I wanted more of batman in the spirit and instead you get all this other stuff with all you know too many other characters and just too much other nonsense going on and i at the end of the day i didn't really feel like we've got all that much interaction between the two of them at at least not as far as any you know substantial character building stuff so i was was disappointed in that so honestly story-wise i'm gonna go a c minus on the story I, i think it's a subpar uh mashup and i typically really like these sorts of things but this one just didn't do much of anything for me so overall grade on this one it's it's a c it's it's you know like i say it's a dollar book for me you know if if i was ever going to pick it up or recommend somebody pick it up you know find it for a dollar or less um and otherwise yeah at the original published price of 4.99 it's like no <laughs> if i paid that for this i'd be rating it way lower cuz it, it definitely was not worth 5 bucks but yeah i mean i'm glad i looked through it okay so that's our second look at the spirit and what i'm going to do is i'm going to ask that if you're listening to this and if you are a fan of the spirit and will eisner and you you understand what we're talking about that we're looking for you know, what made him a great character. Uh, And if you want to find that and tell us, you know, where we should look for it, and we'll try and find whatever books or stories you're talking about, and we'll take a third third shot at this. Uh, You know, I'd really like to see more. Uh, So if somebody has anything in particular, you know, we'll keep looking, but if somebody has anything in particular, let us know. You could do it on the Facebook page. You could do it by email. Uh, either way, you know, I, I, we'd be interested in hearing it. And I also, you know, I may take a look at the movie at some point and see if uh, we want to tackle that. So sure. that'll, that'll close us out for this time. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening in, and we'll see you next week. And uh, goodbye, guys. Bye. Bye. 
Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we hope you'll continue to join us each and every week for more good old-fashioned comic book back-issue awesomeness. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at bins at twotruefreaks.com or by joining the Back to the Bins group on Facebook. Back to the Bins is a proud affiliate of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is a registered trademark of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Please take a moment to stop by the twotruefreaks.com site and check out their many other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Good night, Mr. Robinson. Nah, 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 nah.